0: There is a hunger out there for storytelling. There's a hunger for stories, even if people don't know they're hungry for it.
1: Since the dawn of time, we've shared stories. They remind us of who we were, who we are, and who we wish to be. Through story, our ancestors speak to us, passing on wisdom and truth from the past. And stories prepare us for the future. If only we listen. Welcome to Episode 4 of Listen. My name is Daniel Foytek, and I love a good story. To returning listeners, thanks for coming back to hear more stories. And hello to all the new listeners. This podcast is called Listen, and it's about one of my favorite activities. And if you're here, hopefully one of yours too, listening to great stories. If you know a great storyteller who's working on building their following and who should be featured here, contact me at feedback at ninthstory.com to let me know or let them know. Today's featured teller is Connie Reagan Blake. The story you're about to hear was recorded live at the 2015 Three Rivers Storytelling Festival. You can find out more about Connie and purchase her recordings at her website, storywindow.com. You can find out more about the annual Three Rivers Storytelling Festival at 3RSTF. That's three, the number, RSTF.org. Of course, please support Connie and the other tellers you hear in this podcast by picking up one of their CDs and attending their live tellings whenever you can. The story you're about to hear is a traditional jacktail with an Appalachian flair, which as Connie shares is a little rougher than the jacktails from across the pond.
0: to whet your appetite, I have two little-known facts about our national storyteller, Connie Reagan Blake. Number one, Connie has made a living as a full-time storyteller for 44 years, and Connie is the only storyteller to have been on the main stage at the National Storytelling Festival every single year since 1973 either as a featured teller or as an MC, Truly amazing. And now let's give a rousing welcome to veteran storyteller Connie Reagan Blake. Thanks very much, Joan. It's amazing for me to hear those things, you know. It's like, really? Is that true? But it's true. I was a Hired as a storyteller, you know, which who, who would think you could ever be hired as a storyteller, especially back in 1971. But it was my job description at a public library. They had just gotten federal funds to hire a storyteller to go out to daycare centers, which was also a brand new thing back then. So this October 1st, that program, which is called More, Making Our Reading Enjoyable, And they got to say, Chattanooga Public Library is doing more, making our reading enjoyable. And uh, that program is still going on, and so am I. So I ended up being at that library for four years. But uh, after I'd been there two years is when I heard about that somebody up in Jonesboro, Tennessee was going to be putting together a storytelling festival. And so I... Wrote him a letter. You couldn't email, you couldn't cell phone call. I wrote him a letter and Jimmy Neal Smith and said, I'm a storyteller. I want to come. So he said, uh, he uh, welcomed me and said that he would, um, on Sunday afternoon, they would have an open mic if anyone wanted to tell a story. So I got to tell it that very first one and then was featured at the second one and have been involved ever since. And something else, just a little other little tidbit of news I will share with you that I'm very excited about, that I just I have heard about in the last uh, couple of months. It got sealed in, in official paperwork. Uh, the Library of Congress is taking all of my papers. So that very first letter that Jimmy Neal Smith sent me, I have a copy of. I have a copy of the letter I sent him. I'm amazed that I saved all that, but something in me must have said, do that. You know, save a few of those things. So I've done that. So I was telling um, Joan and and some of y'all that were sitting here earlier, sometimes when I um, do a sound check, I have one or two stories that I use for that sound check. And then while I'm doing the sound check, I'm thinking, boy, that's really a good story. And then I never think about telling it in my repertoire. So, Oliver Hyde is one of those stories, which I just love. But another one is the one I use for the sound check here, and I think I'm going to tell it. It's um, a traditional jack tale. And, you know, when people from Europe, especially people from England, Ireland, and Scotland, when they traveled across the oceans bringing their quilts and trunks, and they also brought their stories. And the stories changed when they got to the mountains, to the Appalachian Mountains especially. That's where it was a hotbed for people from um, uh, Ireland and Scotland and England. And uh, they brought a lot of those Jack Tales with them. They got a rougher edge to them. I think one of the reasons for that is because life was so hard for those people. You know, I don't know if you've been down in those mountains, but there's a lot of rocks, not so much level ground. And so to get out new ground, to get new ground ready for planting, it was a big deal to move the rocks, to get roots out. And I feel that the people really made Jack's life a whole lot harder than theirs, so that by comparison, theirs didn't seem so bad. So there's a rough edge to some of them, and you'll see a little bit of that rough edge in this story. Now, one of my main mentors uh, was and still is. He's passed away, but he's still a huge influence in my life and in my stories, and that is Ray Hicks. And I'll tell you a little bit about him afterwards and maybe tell you a story about Ray. But um, when I would go up to visit Ray, he lived on... Land that had been in his family since the 1700s, and he lived a very uh, kind of what we would think of now as a rough life. You know, for Ray, it was life. It was just the way that he lived, but he breathed so much life into his stories, but when I would go up to visit him, which was very often until he passed away in 03, he would start a story sometimes in the morning, And that afternoon, he'd still be telling that same story. He'd go off on all kinds of avenues and paths and journeys and different countries. And sometimes I'd think, boy, surely he can't make his way back to that story now. But he would. He'd always come back to the end. But I like to tell people, my jack tales are never quite that long. (laughs) This is a whole lot shorter. And one of the ways that you know that it's over is when you hear, well, last I heard, Jack, him and his mom, are doing right well. Well, once there was a fella named Jack. Now, this was actually a different Jack than is in all the Jack tales. You know, that Jack, he's known all over the world in stories because he's the one that seems a little foolish. Sometimes he seems stupid, but he always turns things around. He always makes the best of a bad situation. And often he's getting the person that's in charge, the authority, the royalty, the government, whoever that is, and twisting things around a little bit on those people that need it, twisting around on. But we have this idea of Jack, just like Jack and the Beanstalk. You know, you think, gosh, she's going to trade a cow, Milky White, for a few beans? but he ends up with the gold, and that's kind of Jack's nature. So in this story, it starts off with a Jack, but it's not that same Jack. There was a shortage of everything in the mountains, including names. (laughs) This guy was called Big Jack, and work got mighty hard to find down where Big Jack lived. It was really non-existent, and him and his mama were having a hard time. So finally, he went to his mama, told her, He's going to go out and seek his fortune. Before he went, he went out to the potato patch and dug up a few potatoes. They didn't have many left. But he dug up a few for his mama so she wouldn't starve while he was gone, and then he headed on off down the road. He walked all day till when he came to where a king lived. He walked up, and he knocked on the door, and the king answered it, and Big Jack asked him, Did he have a job or work? king said, Are you a good hand to herd sheep? Big Jack said he reckoned he was. King said, well, I got this here contract. Anybody working for me? We both have to sign it. Says here that the first one of us that gets mad is going to get three strops, three strips cut out of their back long enough to make shoestrings. Ooh, Does that suit you all right? Big Jack said, ooh. But then he said, you know, he needed the work, and he said, I reckon. So Big Jack signed up his name, and King signed up his name, and then the king sent Big Jack on upstairs to bed. He didn't give him any supper. Well, Big Jack was awful hungry, and he got up the next morning. It was actually the king that woke him up. Hey, Big Jack, come on downstairs. I'm not going to pay you to sleep. So Big Jack came downstairs, and King didn't say anything about breakfast. He just took Big Jack right out to the barn. Right next to the barn, there was a corral filled with sheep. He opened that gate, and he started counting those sheep, getting them out of there. Got all the way up to 98, 99, 100. Now, Big Jack, you take these sheep out to pasture, and then you bring them in this evening. Well, that's what Big Jack did. He worked hard all day. He picked about and got a few little berries and such and brought them back in that evening. King stood there counting them. Ninety-eight, ninety-nine, one hundred. You done good, Big Jack. Now you going upstairs to bed. No mention of supper. This went on for three days. Big Jack is about to starve. He came in that third day, and the king was standing there counting them. Got up to a hundred told him he'd done good and told him to going up to bed and big jack said king ain't you going to give me nothing to eat king said why well, no <laughs> i never hired you to eat i hired you to tend sheep are are you mad well it looks like a man ought to be mad work him all day starve them to death that ain't no way to do and he stomped his foot looked like he's about to cuss and the king took hold of him Got out his knife and cut three big straps right out of Big Jack's back. Remember, this is a story. <laughs> and Big Jack, he recollected about that rule, how he had agreed to it. He had signed his name up and since he had broken the contract, Big Jack didn't even get paid for the work he had done. So, Big Jack just went on off down the road. Now, directly he met up with Little Jack. That's the same Jack I was telling you about that's in all those other stories. Little Jack stopped him and said, Whoa, what's the matter with you? And Big Jack told him all about what had happened, what the king had done and everything. So Little Jack took Big Jack to the doctors, told him to get all fixed up, said he'd pay whatever it cost when he come that way again. Then Little Jack went to the king's place. See, would the king hire him? He knocked on the door, and that king said, yeah. Jack said he is looking for a job of work. King said, are you a good hand to herd sheep? Little Jack said, oh, king, herd and sheep, why, back home, they say I'm one of the best shepherds there is. All right, anybody works for me has to sign this here contract. It says here that the first one of us that gets mad is going to get three straps cut out of his back long enough to make shoestrings. Does that suit you all right? Little Jack said, Oh, King, I hardly ever get mad. King said, Well, all right. And King signed and Jack signed, and then King sent Jack on upstairs to bed. No word about supper. Well, Jacky went upstairs, but he didn't go to sleep. He snuck back down those stairs. He went over to that kitchen door, and he peered through that keyhole, and he watched where that king and queen put everything after they had finished eating. Then he snuck back up those stairs, waited until the king and queen had gone to sleep. Then he came back down, eased that kitchen door open, went in there, had his fill of food, put bread and salt in his pockets, and then he went on upstairs and he slept on a full belly. Next morning, King hollered him out, Oh there, Jack, come on downstairs. I'm not paying you to sleep. So Jack came on downstairs, went right out to the barn. King opened that corral door and started counting those sheep. Got all the way up to 100. Now, Jack, you take these sheep on out to pasture. And that's just what Jack did. Now, along about noon, maybe it was one o'clock, he started getting a little hungry. So he got him a big old single tree, a big old stick, and he went over and he knocked one of those sheep in the head. He skinned it out, built him up a little fire, and roasted that meat, took out his bread and salt, and mm, he eat on it all day long. That evening, King stood there counting, ninety-eight, ninety-nine. Whoa now, Jack, one of my sheep's gone. And Jack said, Yes, King, I was going to tell you about that. I got hungry during the day, so I just knocked one of your sheep in the head. Are you mad? No, I don't reckon I'm mad. And Jack went on upstairs to bed. This happened three days in a row. That king only got up to 97 sheep, and he said, Jack, you are going to break me up this way. Jack said, King, are are you mad? No, I'm not mad, but I don't think you're cut out to be a shepherd. How are you at plowing? Jack said, Oh, king, plowing. Back home, they say I'm one of the best there is. All right, tomorrow morning you meet me down here at the barn. And that's just what Jack did. And Jack helped the king get out his two fine, perfectly matched horses. I mean, these horses were a beauty. They even twitched their ears in the same direction at the same time. (laughs) Swished that tail in the same direction, too. And the king was so proud of those horses. Then the two of them, Jack and the king, put all that harness on them, got that plow set up behind it, and they put the plow on a sled, and king took Jack and the horses and plow and all down to a big level field. And the king showed Jack just where he wanted him to do that plowing. And Jack, he turned out good, straight furrows till the king left. As soon as that king was gone... Jack let those horses go this way and that way, and that was actually some of the first crop circles. They were round in circles and directly. Jack saw an old man come riding down the road. He was riding on a little jenny, a little old mule. It's a small... His feet were practically brushing the ground. And Jack stopped him when he got up close. Oh, hold on there, old man. What is that you are riding? That old man said, oh, don't you be making fun of my Jenny. She's the best I can do. Jack said, making fun? me, I'm not making fun. I want that thing. How much will you take for it? Oh, you don't want this little old Jenny. She's not worth anything. Why, yes, I do. How will you swap it for one of these here horses? That old man said, oh, I don't have anything to pay you any boot. And Jack said, boot? Why, but Dad, I'd allow you would want the difference. You swap me even, and the deal's made right here. That old man moved faster than he had moved in four decades. (laughs) He was off his little old Jenny, had that saddle and brattle off of it. Jack helped him. Get the other horse ready. Jack gave him a leg up because that horse was a whole lot higher than that little Jenny. And that old man took off running with that horse. And Jack, he he got that little mule next to that big fine horse and got that harness on and started in plowing. Well, directly, the king come out there. Jack, what in the world are you a-doing? Jack said, "Oh I, I'm plowing plowing, but my horse, my big, my big fine team of horses where's where, Where's my other horse?" And Jack said, "Oh, I was going to tell you about that king. See, I, this old man was riding down the road on this little Jenny. I thought she is the prettiest thing in the world, and I just knew that you would think so too. Uh, you, you don't look like you think so though are Are you mad? No, I'm not mad. <laughs> no. Well, I don't think you're cut out for plowing. How are you at picking apples? Picking apples? Well, I know back home you're the best. You <laughs> Go on down the barn. Get me a basket and a rope. Get yourself a ladder. Go on up to the orchard and start picking some apples. I'll be up there directly. He had a little bit of steam coming out of his ears. So Jackie went down to the barn, got him a basket and a rope and a ladder, and he got him an axe. He went up to the orchard, and he cut down three big apple trees. He laid that ladder up sideways on one of them apple trees and commenced to picking off apples. Directly, the king come up there. Jack, what in the world are you doing? Well, I'm picking apples like you told me to. Picking apples, but you cut down the trees. Jack said, King. How'd you expect me to pick off apples and them away up yonder? I always cut down the trees first. Are are you mad? No, I'm not mad, but I'm going to show you how I want them apples picked. He took that ladder and put it up on one of those few remaining trees. He got that basket and rope and he climbed up that ladder and Jack saw him tie that basket up there and grab hold of one of the branches and Jack pulled that ladder out from underneath that king just left him a dangling Jack what in the world you go and do that for and Jack said well king why don't you tell me how come you didn't give me nothing to eat well Jack I can't fix anything from up here go down to the house tell the queen to fix you up something to eat quick and so Jack he went down to the house Went right into the kitchen there. Queen was in there working hard, and Jack said, Queen, King told me to come down here and kiss up on you. She said he never done it. She went out into the yard and hollered up, King, did you send this boy down here? Yes, do whatever he says, and I'll do the cooking and cleaning for a year. Well, that sounded really good plus Jack wasn't so bad looking. (laughs) She went back into the kitchen. She grabbed him up and laid a big one on him, and then they chatted just a little bit, and then Jack said he's going going to go back up the mountain, and Queen, since King was going to be doing all the work, she didn't have anything to do that afternoon, so she followed Jack up the mountain. They got up to the top of the orchard there, and King was still dangling. Jack took that ladder and put it underneath them, and he started down the ladder just as the queen got up there. And she said, King, how come you sent that boy down there to kiss up on me? He said, I never done it. Did you kiss him? She said, why, yes, it was certainly worth a year of you cooking and cleaning. <laughs> Jack could see smoke not only in the ears, but in the mouth and the nose and the eyes. Jack said, King, are Are you mad? Yes, I'm mad. I'm good and mad. He reached out and he grabbed hold of Jack, and Jack reached out and grabbed hold of that king, and they started rolling and a-tussling and a-fighting and a-kicking and a-biting. But Jack, he got the best of things, and then he got out his knife, and he cut three strops right out of that king's back. And that king, he recollected about that rule and how he had agreed to it. And since Jack had not broken the contract, He had to pay him for all that work he had done. Jack took that pile of money, and he headed on off down the road. He went right back to where that doctor was. And Big Jack is all fixed up by then. Little Jack paid the doctor, and then Little Jack, he went on home. And last I heard, him and his mom are doing right well. Thank you. There's a whole collection of uh, jack tales. Uh, There's actually a lot of different collections now. But Richard Chase is the person who uh, listened to those stories back in the 30s and 40s. And he um, uh, collected them and he ended up putting them into a book. They're still in print. You can find them. And like I said, they have that little bit of a rougher edge. But um, I do... I do like that about them. There's something, there's a different sense maybe that we can get about what life was like back then.
1: Thanks for tuning in for episode number five of Listen. What did you think? Let me know at feedback at ninthstory.com. Today's episode featured a story by Connie Reagan Blake, Big Jack and Little Jack, If you'd like more information on Connie and her work, please visit her online at storywindow.com and follow her on Twitter at StoryWindow. Please share your love of story, share the show, and help us grow. The best support you can give us is to tell a friend who might enjoy the stories and take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. That helps others find us. Follow us on Twitter at ListenToStory find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash story listeners. You can also find us in iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and Google Play. Listen is dedicated to bringing you traditional stories told by some of the best tellers in the world of storytelling. Here, you will rediscover your love of story every time you visit. All works read in this audio recording and associated music and artwork are copyrighted of their respective creators and may not be used in any form without their permission. The story in this episode of Listen was performed by Connie Reagan Blake. The Listen theme is a selection from Better Start Walking and was written and performed by Robin Brown. For more of Robin's work, visit robinbrown.info. Closing music was also from Better Start Walking. Listen is a Ninth Story Studios production, ninthstory.com. Creator and producer, Daniel Foytek. That's me. Full show notes with links and info can be found at storylisteners.com forward slash five. This has been Daniel Foytek. Until next time, listen, tell, and share stories. The following preview is for a show called The Lift. The Lift is also created by Ninth Story Studios and is intended for a mature audience everything eventually comes down to a choice in such a big world so many choices here in this little lost place things are simpler you'll find it because you are meant to and inside you'll find my lift and me i'll take you where you need to go and then you choose once you do things will get much better. Or much worse. (laughs) Find the lift at victoriaslift.com and also in iTunes at
0: itunes.victoriaslift.com